Good evening, everybody. It is now 7 o'clock Monday evening. Uh, my name is Andre, and of course, by now, I hope you know that my name is Andre Anderson. I am both host and founder of BSTL. What does BSTL stand for? It stands for Building Something That Lasts. And of course, if you are here for the very first time on this podcast, we talk about all things leadership-based, and we just want to have these conversations that will help us to grow. I know I'm growing. I've had so many different guests on uh, for the last year and a half, and uh, what a journey it's been. I've been able to share and also receive, and I think I'm better off for it. And so this is part of the experience that we want you to have. Uh, This evening, of course, uh, we have another guest. I'm so excited. Uh, He's all the way over on the, what does that make it, the East Coast um, in Nova Scotia. His name is Darren Ruck. Darren, are you there? I am indeed. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you loud and clear. Uh, Perfect, perfect. Thank great you. to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Thank you so much, Darren. I'm looking forward to our uh, conversation. Uh, I'm sure you are a big deal in many different spaces, um, and I'm not sure that everybody has heard about you here on this podcast, and I want to give you a nice, big, gentle nudge and push. Why don't you just share uh, a couple of things about yourself uh, with our listeners? Well, I, I think you mentioned that I am from Nova Scotia, born and raised. Okay. Um heritage. My my father's side is um, from Barbados, oh, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, second generation. Uh, yeah, my grandfather came here to Nova Scotia in around 1918. Um, on my mom's side, I'm uh, from uh, uh, descendants of the Black Loyalists. Now, those who don't know, I should Google it, but you know, Black Loyalists came here in the late 1700s uh, as part of the fought on the side of the British. Um, so I've got a long standing history here in Nova Scotia, um, generational experiences, obviously with, with racism and discrimination. Um, but you know, uh, had a strong family. Um, uh, and I think that's what, uh, led me to, to do what I've been able to achieve over the years. All right. Does that make for one thing or is that two things? Oh, that could be one thing, or that could be several things. Um, what else can I say? I, I'm uh, I'm a dad, and uh, I, I like the golf, although I'm not very good at it. Um, and uh, I'm I'm a studier of people. I, I, I I've uh, completed my MBA back in uh, oh, geez, 2003, I think it was. Okay. But at that time, my real focus was on organizational behavior. Ah. Um, really, the focus on what makes people tick at work, what, okay. what motivates them and, and what keeps them engaged. So I, I so since that time, I've really been, um, uh, in some ways, uh, I'll say a, 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 a leader, uh, obviously we have been, have opportunities to lead, but also sitting on the bench and watching others lead. I think you learn a lot from others, from uh, their leadership stuff, better or for worse. Right. So, yeah. uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at. Uh, and uh, coming closer to retirement, I work for the uh, federal government, the Public Service Procurement Canada. Yeah. Um, I've been in the human resource field for much of my career. Um, I also, spent a, a long stand in the private sector. Uh, I was a recruiter and, and diversity person as well for the bank in the Scotia for many years before rejoining the federal public service. So, yeah, my experience goes uh, uh, pretty, pretty broad. Nice. Um, How many things does that 
right? No, no, that's good because, you know, I, I think, Darren, one of the things that we, we try to do here is we really want to put a pulse on every person that comes onto uh, the podcast on this platform because, you know, sometimes um, in leadership, there's a little bit of a distance between, quote unquote, us and them. And at times, um, leaders are evaluated based on their their job, um, what they do, and not always on who they are. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you've shared a bit um, and given us the balance on what it is that you do, not just on your work, um, but some of the other things that you've been doing throughout your lifetime. And so we celebrate your retirement that is coming uh, soon, and we hope that you'll uh, be able to do a whole lot more. And by the way, there was another gentleman, and I don't know, I'll just say his name anyways. His name is Ron Kelman. He is um, from Barbados as well. Uh, the the, the last name of Kelman is such a unique name. Maybe uh, he's somebody that you know. Uh, that doesn't ring a bell. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. I, I think I, I um, listened to one of your podcasts with, when you had him on. He's a friend of yours. So yeah. it was but it, and I think he spoke a lot about the, uh, the educational system in Barbados. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So that being said, you know, I've always said that as well. I think, you know, in some ways you feel like you inherited that, uh, that desire to have a, a solid education. Yeah. Um, particularly on my dad's side again with, uh, with, you know, being now third generation from, from Barbados. So interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. T- t- so today, um, we want to have this conversation, right? And um, hmm. I'm glad that I now know about this MBA. It may come up in our conversation. Um, but we want to talk a little bit about helping uh, to lead people from where they are um, versus hmm. maybe where we want them to get to. And I think that the dichotomy is important um, because sometimes as leaders, we have an expectation that may or may not be reasonable based on where we meet people as we lead them. So go ahead, lead us with this this charge, this conversation. Well, you know, I'll go, I'll go back to uh, my, my study, theoretically, and, you know, one of the sort of the motivational uh, theories out there is around the, the concept of where, empl- where a person is at in terms of their maturity level, right? Mm-hmm. A new employee coming into the organization versus one that's been here for, been around for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when I when I talk about, you know, leaders needing to sort of understand and react and respond to um, the people around them, including their, their, you know, direct reports and their team members, being able to understand where they're at, at that, in that moment and respond appropriately. Um, you know, the idea is to do no harm, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and which goes back to thinking your earlier conversation about, you know, being empathetic or empathy mm-hmm. and having empathy. So, you know, as a leader, I think the first thing you have to understand is that level of responsibility to have and accountability mm-hmm. um, to do no harm. So that means taking understanding that people are your greatest asset or your greatest resource mm-hmm. much more so than the computer that you use in front of you right. that you you would not intentionally do any harm to. Yes. Right? So, you know, one of the things I've always, I've often said is we, we seem like we put more effort on protecting our physical assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, our computers, our office space and so on. Yes. Versus protecting the people 
you know, and, and so putting that in place and putting people first. Yes. But all else seems to me to be the most reasonable way of, of uh, most integrity way of, 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 of leading. Um, so I want to jump so, in and ask you a question then. Um, and it's not that I disagree with you, Darren, but I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about this. And of course you are somebody that works um, with human resources. So um, I don't know if you're a part of the hiring and firing process, the training and development. I mean, you can respond in a few moments, but here's the struggle maybe. Um, mm. So somebody is leading, um, but they don't necessarily get to choose who they lead. Um, so of course there's this whole hiring process, you know, the person makes it through first and second stages of the, uh, recruitment process. And now they're in your office, they have scored well, um, they have done well, they've answered well, but then, you know, they're now out there, whether in the, in the cubicle, uh, on the phone, whatever that looks like. And then you begin to realize as their leader, perhaps the emotional intelligence on their end isn't necessarily there. And so there's this juggling act, perhaps, of how do you do no harm, but also get what needs to get done because there is a requirement. There is something that has to happen because that's the terms of the employment. What do we do in those situations? Well, those situations are, you know, they're performance management situations, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, When I say do no harm, what I mean by that is is, is to non-intentionally, Okay. You know, if I have a conversation with with an individual that, and I've had many of those kinds of conversations where they're just not maybe performing well at that time, maybe it's a training need. Mm-hmm. Um, having that honest conversation with that individual to let them know that a mm-hmm. you're there to support them, mm-hmm. and b there is a job to be done. Mm-hmm. So how do we figure this out? How do we find that that ground? that safe ground that takes space where you're able to perform at a level that I know you, you're, you, you'd want to be performing at. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what's needed, right? So mm-hmm. that's, that often is, is a coaching situation. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so again, it's about meeting an employee or where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, often that also includes building a level of trust Okay. So that you're able to confirm where they're at and, and have an open conversation in a safe space. Maybe there's personal issues involved. Um, maybe they're going through a relationship issue at, you know, at home or having kids problems or, or aging parent responsibilities. You know, this we're all individuals, right? Yes. And and, when, and and we all have our ups and downs, uh, mm-hmm. often described as, but we go, you know, we're, we're a body of emotion, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it's wrong for a leader simply to look at the performance and mark that employee as a bad employee. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that you have to discover the true underlying issues that are leading to that performance issue. So, all right, then. So then maybe here's the follow-up question. Um, because I hear you saying that it's important that you get to know the employee beyond... Um, their performance. 
So what happens then if you are open, you have demonstrated that you are empathetic, you have proven to your team that you are for them, you are there to support them, uh, but they don't necessarily share. And, and we know that uh, there are a lot of employees that they have a hard line in the sand that says, this is my work and this is who I am after work. Uh, so they, what happens when they don't share? And the only thing that you can go on is what you know and, and ultimately uh, what the performance is is also showing and demonstrating. Where do you go from there? How do you get them to come out of the hole? Well, I'm, I'm also a believer in uh, this whole theory of um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And I'll, and, uh, and I'll answer your question, I think, more directly once I talk a little bit about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that we all share some common needs. Mm-hmm. So those basic needs are around basic housing, security. You have to feel secure, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have to have food in the fridge. You know, you have mm-hmm. to have a roof over your head. Um, as you go up this sort of pyramid, the needs turn more into relationship levels, right? Mm-hmm. So the need accepted, the need to feel um, uh, rewarded, uh, you know, for the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I believe in in the highest percentage of cases, people want the same things. Mm-hmm. So they want to be, they want to have some sense of uh, that, that their job is meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're not getting that meaningfulness from their job, maybe they're in the wrong job. Mm. So you don't have to, dis- you have to discover again, it all comes back to where they're at. Right. And you can, as a pyramid, or you can look at it from you know at the maturity level model, right? But it all comes back to where they're at, and I think there's a you know again, I say there's very few people that go to work wanting to do a bad job, right? Right? Yes. So if you accept that as a fact, mm-hmm. then you have to then dig deeper into the reasons why the job is not getting done. Like, who wants to come to work and have their supervisor? over the back every day mm-hmm. so that they're, they're not doing their job. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's illogical, right? In most cases. Right. So, sure. um, yeah. So it really comes down to where they're at and, and in discovering that. Right. So uh, I would argue that there are very few cases where people go to work wanting to do a bad job. So then Darren, maybe here's the next part to this question possibly. Um, as we talk about development, we also do understand that as leaders lead, uh, the entire team is not at the same stage, not just based on emotional intelligence, um, but where they are in the process of employment, right? Uh, so when I mm-hmm. hear you say, uh, I'm going to be retiring soon, right? At some point, right. um, you're, you are at a different stage of development. Uh, you're, you're, you're beginning maybe to shut things down. Um, but on the other extreme, to the other end, is the the, the, the individual that's just now coming out of college, uh, right. university, and right. you know how they see leadership or how they see the the, the marketplace, the workplace, completely different. How yep. do we find a way to lead both um, both experiences? The generational differences. Correct. Yes. <laughs> well, you know. Um 
I, I think you're quite right. And, you know, there's, it's, again, I'll, I'll use, I'll lean on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Coming out of university, anyway, mm-hmm. you know, Mike, I've been, it's been a lot of years, but I can still remember those days. Mm-hmm. You know, that level of sense of security is not always there, mm-hmm. right? If one doesn't feel secure in, in their job or in their possession, you know, where they're at in life, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, if they're having a difficult time still paying the rent, mm-hmm. uh, those things flow over into, you can very easily flow over into your performance. Sure. Right? Um, I think that you have to, you know, new employees, it's part of their orientation. They have to understand, um, I call it the business acronym of what of the organization that they're working in, right? Mm-hmm. What are the prospects for promotion realistically? What do they need? What do they already possess that they can leverage? What do they need to develop in order to, to move forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, uh, universities, I think, uh, feed on uh, student expectations, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if I have an MBA, well, I should be the CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company <laughs> at some point, right? Right. <laughs> in the next five years. Right. Um, so, you know, and that helps justify the, the high tuition fees, too. Right, right. So, yeah. So I think they're the mutual, you know, feeding off one another. And so students sometimes do come up with very, very high expectations. And I think those expectations have to be tampered a little bit uh, in many cases. But again, wherever that person is at, whether they're at a university or they've been five years in the job, um, their sense of security over that job is highly impacted by the, the leadership style of their direct manager or the yeah. manager above, right? So having the sense that you're, you're, that you're wanted, that you're uh, being rewarded, and recognized for the work that you're doing, I think goes a long way. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. So far we've been talking about uh, those that we lead. Um, and I think normally that is the, the focal point, but then there's also us leading within ourselves. And, and really what I mean is, is that I, I think also back to, you know, the example of the university student uh, that has the NBA, they've scored well, uh, they've paid a lot of money and they have this expectation. Um, very ambitious is, is the word that comes to my mind um, as they join any organization. They've got this mm-hmm. uh, non-rose-colored view of what the marketplace is going to look like. Uh, and here you are, Darren, uh, leading and training and coaching and developing. Um, but at some point, um, you now realize that this person is doing more than just learning from you. In essence, they may come and get your job. So where where is it in terms of how do we manage ourselves while leading others, especially when we may find ourselves not necessarily out of a job, but no longer in that situation or in that context because we've literally worked ourselves out of a job because now the one that we have trained has now taken our, our, our responsibility. What do we do with that? How do we lead us? How do we um, start with where we tick as well while, while um, focusing on others? Well, you know, if... if I would have to say that, you know, any leader should hope that they can develop an individual to be able to take over where they're at in their job. Um, that means you've selected a good candidate. That means you've done some good coaching and some good training. 
Um, and and you've got someone who can take over it. You know, it's part of succession planning as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the sense of knowledge transfer, mm-hmm. uh, the next generation, if you will, right? I think it's a key responsibility of any manager, any leader, to look forward, look past where they're, you know, their job now and look for individuals that can step into that, step into your shoes in a future time. Um, so again, I think it's part of a leader, of a, uh, leader's responsibility. But there was a second part to your question. I'm, I'm not sure if I caught that. So, well, maybe I missed it, but I want to push a little bit further now that you've talked about succession planning, right? So, how do we then explain what we normally see in in most, or and maybe I shouldn't say most because I don't have the statistics today, but we know that it's almost commonplace that once um, some leaders uh, get into a specific position, it's almost like they're there either until they get fired or they die or they retire. Uh-huh. You know, what's that mm-hmm. all about? So if, if the goal is to lead in such a way and identify the next generation of leadership as we coach and as we teach and as they uh, suck up the information of, uh, from us, knowledge base and so on and so forth. Why does it take, why is the turnover rate so slow as it relates to leadership? Well, uh, well it's a good question. I, I think you have to look at the context of the organization. So we, we you know, um, in a very large organization, such as the one I, and, um, there's plenty, there's plenty of opportunity um, to move uh, to move up to what we describe as the executive cadre or the ex groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I may be in that group myself, mm-hmm. um, and I may keep my job until I retire. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I can't, I can't train someone to be my uh, to stand along with me in another unit, another branch. Um, and, and so you can certainly promote people um, to, sit, to sit beside you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily replace you. In a smaller company, obviously, those, the opportunities are, are, are fewer, mm-hmm. right? Um, we know statistically that the turnover rate of our executive group is, 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 is lesser than the rest of our you know, population. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, once one does get to a certain level, there's a natural tendency. There's, there are fewer opportunities actually at that stage to move in a different direction, right? The higher you go in an organization. Yeah. So, yeah, the people do tend to stay for longer periods of time in the same job. But again, openings do happen. People do retire. Um, you know, in a large organization, if you've got what it takes, you certainly can, can find opportunity. So as one who has worked um, for the, the federal government for quite some time, I want to put a question out there. I've never asked sure. it before, so I don't know if it's been posed to you before, um, but I'm now asking a structural question. Um, okay. How do we create um, an ecosystem that supports more development of leadership? I mean, it's easy to say, sure, we can shadow people, we need to develop and all of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we talk about that stuff all the time, um, but whether or not it actually happen, happens in praxis, I don't know that it does. And the reason why mm-hmm. I say that is, is that we are, we're often so reluctant to let people go 
uh, whether they move along or they retire or whatever, it would seem to me that even though we're saying that this coaching thing that should be an ongoing thing that's a part of succession planning, we should be comfortable to see people moving along, um, maybe at a faster rate. Mm. So what's slowing the process down then? Because I agree with you, by the way, um, Darren, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, like, I remember my mom, uh, she worked in the hospital setting um, downtown Toronto for many years. Um, when she retired, um, they were still calling her. <laughs> Can you come back in and, and take right. some extra shifts? And I'm thinking to myself, fine. I mean, it allowed her to come and go, right? But at the yeah. same time, what about the next generation that now doesn't get that shift because my mom is there or other nurses and doctors right. that r refuse to hang it up because they've... Uh, maybe come to the conclusion that no one, no one can do it as good as me. That can't necessarily be true if we've been shadowing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know your mom's situation, but there are cases where you know there really is a genuine talent shortage yeah. or labor for that specific skill set. Mm -hmm. um, so they do, you know, tend to call people back who they know can do the job, right? So mm -hmm. I think that happens in a lot of cases. Um, you know. If you look at an ecosystem, uh, like you suggested, you, I think you start with, okay, where are the bottlenecks, right? Well, the mm -hmm. bottleneck in most organizations is at the very senior level, right? Mm -hmm. Those individuals um, not necessarily leaving or retiring tomorrow mm -hmm. creates that, you know, that bottleneck, if you will. So on the bottom of the bottle, though, you've got a lot of ambitious individuals, and I think that's what you're describing. And then, so the question is to them, how do you get to the top of the bottle? Right. right. Yeah. Well, two things. I think one has to temper their expectation, I think real, realistically. Okay. Um, but you got to do all the things that allow you to be noticed, mm -hmm. right? Um, take on volunteer opportunities, volunteer to do extra work, however it works out. Um, but be seen, be noticed, um, be on time, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and do quality work. Right? And I think those individuals do tend to stand out. They yeah. get opportunities for you know, promotions and so on. Um, in the federal government, the, one of the biggest barriers, and it will continue to be the biggest barriers, is language. Um, you have to be bilingual in our, for most senior-level jobs, or all senior-level jobs now. So, you know, an individual coming into the federal government, if you know, right at a university, let's say, for example, if they're unilingual or French or English, I think that there has to be a realistic uh, conversation with them that if you want to stay with the federal government, you want to move up, take some language training. Yeah. Start now, right? Um, and um, put your efforts, your extra time into that. But, um, you know, in terms of an ecosystem, I think most organizations have the, the, the semblance of, a, of an ecosystem, right? We, we have coaching regimes. We have talent management programs. Um, uh, managers are expected to develop their employees. We have strong learning organizations as well, right? So mm -hmm. lots of courses. Um, employees can, you know, again, taking the initiative to do those kinds of things on your own. The, the systems are there. Mm -hmm. The product and tools are there to, to help you succeed. So let me tell you what my struggle is uh, in this conversation, and not even so much because I disagree with you. Um, mm -hmm. 
in, in my experience, as I look and I listen and I have conversations with leaders um, all over the place, here's what I, I think is also a hindrance uh, to this upward mobility. And I agree with you, especially in Canada, where French is, you know, a strong language that we, we still use from province to mm-hmm. province. I, I get that part. Um, here's what I'm I'm wanting to see more. And I don't know if it's unrealistic. Um, it could be the catalyst leader in me. Um, I want to see us um, developing leaders, but not leaders that are towing the line, right? So this this idea of, you know, mm-hmm. the bottleneck, you've got some people who are ambitious, but based on where they are in the process, um, within the organization, they have some great ideas. And the great mm-hmm. ideas that they have, they don't necessarily fit. So even though they're on time and they're doing their work and they're doing all of the other stuff that is required, uh, the reality is that there isn't a space for, for their way of thinking and leading. And so because mm-hmm. uh, they don't fit the mold of the organization, the reality is you've now got somebody who was ambitious, they were on time, but they don't look like what we're looking for because they don't think the same way. What do we do with those? Because they're bilingual as well, right? They're bilingual. They've got the MBA. Okay, I know you, yeah. Well, you're dwelling into a different subject area now, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's about organizational culture, right? Yes. And the culture is created by the individuals, of mm-hmm. course, but certainly senior management has a lot of influence over organizational culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a proponent of what I describe as diversity of thought, which means that, you know, if we, if an organization truly wants to be innovative, mm-hmm. we've got to be willing to take some risk and we've got to try things, mm-hmm. right? So if we, Google and Amazon, other private sector companies have done really well, mm-hmm. um, through this concept of diversity of thought. Right. So I think the federal government is one continues to struggle with that. We were a very risk averse organization um, and we have a very uh, bureaucratic type of a culture mm-hmm. um, where people are expected to, be, to, to behave and respond in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say, the advice I would give to someone who doesn't appear to uh, feeling like they're swimming upstream mm-hmm. um, is you really look for the a lane that uh, path of least resistance for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what that that moving on to a different department or a different organization or a different work or you know, finding an opportunity where your way of thinking really makes you know, is, is uh, can make a difference. No, you're also raising the subject, I think, of this concept of leaders. leadership can happen at any level, mm-hmm. right? So the idea that I have, let's say I have a great idea, a good concept mm-hmm. for a program or a tool, my ability to, to have that uh, considered or implemented is really how well I'm connected with this, you know, my manager or the senior leaders as well, right? Mm-hmm. So there are opportunities, I think, for people to have their say and to take a leadership role from the back row. Um, so, yeah, so two things. I think the government still struggles with their culture. Mm-hmm. 
culture is not necessarily inclusive, mm-hmm. uh, inclusive of that concept around diversity of thought, mm-hmm. uh, allowing people to leverage their own lived experiences. Right. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a bias, I think, built in that, um, called, that we're, we're essentially expected to behave in a certain way. Um, yeah, so I think we still struggle with that. And that's a lot of the work that we're doing now, I think, is trying to engage employees and others um, through employee networks to really take a leadership role um, and helping to influence cultural change and making diversity of thought, if you will, the norm, yeah. right? So, yeah, normalizing this, this concept of being, uh, having a different way of thinking. Yeah, and, and I think that that's important, Darren, primarily because the world is shrinking, right? And especially during this pandemic, uh, where Zoom came out like the king of communication, as far as I'm concerned, right? Everybody had a Zoom account or a Teams account, either right. or, you know, just right. a couple of companies were doing that. But, you know, that opened up the marketplace, right? So even though we often talk about glo- the globalization of the world, uh, the reality is now it, it is not impossible to have a colleague that is working in Malaysia or Australia mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. South mm-hmm. Africa, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it, mm-hmm. maybe five years ago, you might've been like, well, I got to get on a plane, but now all you've got to do is click a button and share the meeting code and the password and you're in. And, and this mm-hmm. idea or concept that you've now shared of diversity of thought or thinking, this becomes even more crucial um, because you have, um, you know, we're talking about culture, organizational culture. Well, culture is culture. However you want to uh, mince it up, dice it up. The reality is you're, you're going to be engaging people that have never thought about things the way you do, not because they're antiquated, but because they come from a different worldview altogether. And so, you know, as we talk about the, 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 the government, if the government doesn't change as one who employs and on some level, we could argue mm-hmm. they lead the charge on what organizational leadership looks like. Uh, then that means it's got to be difficult in other spaces that do- don't have the same infrastructure, don't have the same HR um, depth of wealth of knowledge, and the list goes on. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. one of those things that I, I think about um, a lot because you know mm-hmm. you're you're closer now because you don't have to get on a plane. Um. Yeah, absolutely. The cultural competence piece, right? Yeah. I, I agree 100%. Um, you know, I, I see it uh, as an opportunity. Um, you know, our, our country is becoming more diverse every day, yeah. right? Uh, through immigration and so on. And, and you know, the government is, uh, they, become, they become part of the talent pool, right? Our potential, our future talent pool. Yeah. Um, citizens that become permanent residents, right? Yes. Uh, and, as they become part of our organization, I think there's a natural shift in culture almost, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's a tipping point, right? Yeah. Uh, whereby uh, I think the culture, is, again, culture is driven by its people. That's right. right? So yeah. as an organization becomes more diverse, so does the culture of the organization become more inclusive. Correct, yeah. Right? Um and I think I think that we're moving in that direction. I'm, 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 I'm you know, very positive, very optimistic that um, 
that we will achieve a sense of, uh, um, uh, of cultural change just by having a more diverse culture uh, within all ranks of our organization, right? So yes. we need more diversity at all levels of the organization, including our most senior leadership. So, you know, it's interesting, um, Darren, because I, I do want to give you the last word on this conversation. But based mm-hmm. on something that you said, and I hope you'll come back again uh, to be a guest on this podcast, I, I want to talk maybe next time with you about changing uh, what it looks like in terms of the meeting, you know, the boardroom, you know, where we often kind of thrash through some of these ideas. It often happens in a very specific space, you know, the manager's office, the executive suite, whatever that looks like. Um, But maybe Mm -hmm. as we're talking about inclusion, right? Um, And everybody's talking about inclusion. I'm I'm wondering what, what does a meeting look like when you bring all of these minds from different places around the world? And for some people, and I'm thinking about the Caribbean culture, um, our, mm. our boardroom in Jamaica, let me just use that, and maybe there are some parallels to, to Barbados, it's under the tree, you know, uh, some of the best conversations I've ever had uh, in, in, in Jamaica with very bright minds, it has happened in the shade. Um, but we often relegate a lot of things to the office. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, but Darren, I'd love for you to give us maybe your takeaway from this conversation um, as we talk about meeting people where they are. Well, it's um, great conversation, by the way. Thank you very much for the opportunity to have a, have this chat. You know, um, I think my biggest takeaway is that connecting some of our conversation around meeting people where they're at, but also understanding that that diversity piece, that diversity of thought piece, yes. uh, is a huge component of where people are at. Yeah. Right? Um, you mentioned a couple of times the emotional intelligence. I think that's one of the, 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 the most sought after, it should be the most valuable tool mm-hmm. or skill set that any leader has. And that really... It's about understanding people, where they're at, yes. but also understanding yourself of where you're at. That's self-regulating people, right? So regulating one's own emotions and tapping into the emotions of others yeah. um, allows you to increase the, the conversation, if you will, yeah. um, uh, and allow you to, you know, great for coaching skills, um, great for um, simple building trust and building relationships. I think a lot of it comes down to relationship building as well. So, you know, how I build a relationship with a group of diverse individuals can really make or break my leadership skills or my leadership. Darren Ruck, uh, incredible conversation. And like I said, even if it's not the conversation that we had before um, or the one that I mentioned on the end, I really do hope to have you come back. And I think you're absolutely right. This emotional intelligence and this diversity of thinking thought process i think those things along with the ability to be with people whether they're in the tree or they're on the ground uh, we have to find a way as leaders and uh, sometimes easier said than done because i think we're all navigating our own personal lives at the same time Um, but if we want to be great leaders and we want to empower and duplicate ourselves uh, we have to put in the same work uh, in ourselves that we are hoping uh, to see happen in others. 
Um, to those of you that are listening, I know we went a little bit longer today than we normally do, but I think it was worth every uh, moment of it because Darren has definitely a wealth of knowledge. And so we want to say thank you. And for those of you that um, haven't done so, don't forget to like, subscribe and or share uh, this podcast with anybody uh, that is thinking about and contemplating and doing uh, leadership. And if you'd like to have a broader conversation about this, uh, don't forget to email me at bstlinc21 at gmail.com. And uh, that way we can connect and figure out how we can have another conversation. Until next time, have a great day and thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time. Take care for now. Bye. <laughs>